0: Is in the studio with Michael Card. Welcome to our program, coming to you from Franklin, Tennessee. I'm Wayne Shepard, and we're very excited about this program today. Michael, among other things, we're going to talk to Jerry Amos today about the Mercy Children's Clinic here in Franklin. It's a wonderful story. It is, and 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 she is a good friend of this program. It's great to have Jerry here. We'll meet her later on. We're going to answer a listener question during the course of our program. We'll talk with Sam Levine who will be with us here today. Sam is a talented guy who plays so many uh, woodwind instruments, Mm -hmm. and he's actually going to accompany you on the song we're going to hear in a moment. And then we're also going to talk about... a song called Lift Up the Suffering Symbol, which uh, this will be our Bible study here today. Really. Yeah, give us a chance to look at the background of one of the statements of Jesus from John 3. That'll right. be a good time as well. Well, take us to the scriptures. We'll hear the song in a moment, but uh, go ahead and introduce the passage for us and what we're going to talk about.
1: Okay, well, let's look at the New Testament passage first in uh, that uh, wonderful exchange between Jesus and Nicodemus in John 3. Uh, Jesus always finds the perfect road in to whoever he 's uh, engaging you know he 's with the woman at the well he talks about water and the bucket and, and he 's with Nicodemus, who is a man of the old testament he He uses an Old Testament image that you and I might not be familiar with, but that Nicodemus was certainly familiar with um, and explaining himself to Nicodemus in uh, John chapter three around verse um, well, let's start at verse 10. Okay. Jesus replied, You're a respected Jewish teacher, and yet you don't understand these things. Jesus has been talking about new birth and that sort of thing. I assure you, I'm telling you what we know and have seen, and yet you don't believe us. But if you don't even believe me when I tell you about things that happen here on earth, the wind and right. new birth, that sort of thing, how can you possibly believe if I tell you what's going on in heaven? For only I, the Son of Man, have come to earth and will return to heaven again. And here's the passage we're going to look at. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so I, the Son of Man, must be lifted up on a pole, so that everyone who believes in me will have eternal life.
0: One reason I appreciate you going deeply into chapter three here is we often stop with the first few verses and and expound on what it means to be born again Mm -hmm. and miss this entirely. And this is a passage that's so rich with uh, Old Testament content. Which is something you pick up on in your song we're going to hear now here in the studio, Lift Up the Suffering Symbol. Uh, The studio is kind of crowded here today. We have Scott Brazier at the piano keyboard here and Sam Levine, I mentioned earlier, is with us playing woodwinds, Paul Eckberg percussion. Right now, here's Michael Card. Lift up the suffering symbol. One, two,
1: three,
2: four. They grew tired of bread from heaven and of Moses and of God and longed to live the life of slavery once again. So they muttered and they grumbled and they whimpered and they whined and with each faithless word sank deeper into sin. He took the pen of pain once more to write upon their hearts the lesson they had been so slow to learn. And writhing in the sand, the fiery serpent. A holy message and bite that burn Lift up the suffering symbol and place it high upon a pole. Tell the children to look up and be made whole. Lift up the suffering symbol and place it high upon And sent out the saving word so they would know That the symbol of their suffering was now the focus of their faith And with a faithful glance the healing power would flow In time the brazen serpent became an idol in the land And they left the living God to worship clay. They forgot their suffering, soon their fate had disappeared. And so some idolize a brazen cross today. Lift up the suffering symbol and place it high upon a pole. Tell the children to look up and be.
0: Michael, as we begin this look at the uh, suffering symbol that you sing about here in the studio, allow me to read uh, back in the book of Numbers, chapter 21. We'll read uh, verses 4 through 9. Then the people of Israel set out from Mount Hor, taking the road to the Red Sea, to go around the land of Edom. But the people grew impatient along the way, and they began to murmur against God and Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die here in the wilderness, they complained. There's nothing to eat here and nothing to drink, and we hate this wretched manna. I wish I could put a wine in my voice like they must have had. (laughs) So the Lord sent poisonous snakes among them, and many of them were bitten and died. Then the people came to Moses and cried out, We have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take away the snakes. So Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord told him, Make a replica of a poisonous snake and attach it to the top of a pole. Those who are bitten will live if they simply look at it. So Moses made a snake out of bronze and attached it to the top of a pole. Whenever those who were bitten looked at the bronze snake, they recovered. Mm.
1: That's an amazing story,
0: isn't it? And that is exactly the passage that Jesus
1: appeals to when he's trying to explain himself to Nicodemus. He says, and I the Son of Man, I'm going to be lifted up, even as Moses lifted up the serpent in the
0: wilderness. Now, we hear this language, We I hear it in worship services all the time, misused. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, lifted up, yeah. Lift, lift up. the.
1: <laughs> yeah, lifted up, to, to be lifted up in the New Testament is to be crucified. That is consistently in the gospel, the metaphor that Jesus used. And and I, when I'm lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. And people say, oh, well, Jesus said if we just lift him up, right, that'll draw right. all men. And so that becomes a reason or an excuse, really, for a praise, which which really isn't what Jesus had in mind at all. Jesus says uh, his his sacrificial death for us is being lifted up. In fact, the very next verse in John says, he said this to signify what kind of death he would die. Mm-hmm. Lifted up be, means crucified. And even as early as John 3, Jesus is using that same metaphor, I'm going to be lifted up on a pole the way this uh, snake was lifted up. And to, to me, the process is just fascinating uh, that that God commands Moses to make a replica of the very thing that was causing them to suffer. I mean, these serpents. I mean, the last thing, if I'm dying of snake bite, the last thing I want to do is <laughs> look, look at up. at another snake, yeah. Is look up, yeah. But what God tells Moses to do, you make this, this brass, brazen, this brass serpent, and you put it up on a pole and tell the people, if they'll simply look at it, they'll be healed. And... And that so uh, beautifully uh, unpacks what the cross of Jesus is all about. I mean, because Jesus is lifted up on the cross. He becomes sin, the Bible tells us. Uh, the very thing that, has, uh, that is destroying us, that has bitten us, as it were, and, and we're dying of. And God tells us, you look at that cross hmm. and you'll be healed. You turn to that cross, the, the very symbol of your suffering. Uh, and I will heal you, and that's exactly what the cross is. It's it's our healing. It's our salvation.
0: But as we learn later in this story, later in the scriptures, they actually make an idol out of all of this. And there again is a is a terrific lesson for us. It,
1: it really is. In Second in Kings eighteen. Uh, uh, as Hezekiah uh, comes and uh, begins to destroy the shrines and uh, the Asherah poles, he discovers this bronze snake that Moses has made. The people of Israel had kept this snake, and they had begun to worship it. Uh, they even gave it a name. It was called Nahushtan, mm. which means bronze or brass thing. What a perversion. It, it really is. But we do the same thing today. That's the point that the song tries to make. But let me read this passage in Second uh, Kings 18, um, talking about the con- coming of Hezekiah. He did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight, just as his ancestor David had done. He removed the pagan shrines. He smashed the sacred pillars and knocked down the Asherah poles. Um, he broke up the bronze serpent that Moses had made. Because the people of Israel had begun to worship it by burning incense to it. The bronze serpent was called Nehushtan. So what, what God had, had gifted them with, this wonderful symbol that they, they could look to and find healing from their this snake bite uh, business. Uh, They turn back around, they take the grace of God, they make an idol out of this object, and they begin to worship the idol. So anything but what God intends them to do, they do.
0: I suppose the obvious question is, what are we worshiping instead of the real thing?
1: That's exactly the point, Wayne. Uh, In in the song I say, some people idolize a brazen cross today. Uh, For so many people, the cross has become just this idol, uh, a, a token, I see people uh wearing crosses in in um I think inappropriate ways mm-hmm. and uh just making again just an idol of it and I think it becomes an idol whenever we look at it and we don't realize that this is what God has done for us when it just becomes simply a token simply a sign and it becomes devoid of this rich deep meaning Uh, if you don't stand before the cross and uh, if you're not tempted to break into tears if you're not uh, uh, sorry for your own sin because your sin is what hung Jesus there your sin and my sin is what hung Jesus there then you've begun to
0: make it an idol. I think that's a a question that we really need to be serious about asking ourselves. Well, I think it's a good reminder because we do need to step back. Sometimes, you know, we kind of go along and we take things for granted and, oh, yeah, the cross. We become very free and easy with it. I know all about that. You know, I've been there, done that. Uh, We need to take a step back and rethink what happened. If we don't stand before that cross and are heartbroken,
1: and have our hearts filled with uh, adoration and gra- gratitude uh, to Jesus for having paid that price for us. Uh, we're, we've begun to drift and we need to be careful. Mm. So that, that's really what this song is all about. I mean, Jesus reveals himself uh, to Nicodemus, even as Moses lifted up the brazen serpent, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. I'm going to be lifted up, Nicodemus. I'm going to be hung on a high cross so that people for miles away can see me hanging there. And even as the children were told to look at that cross to find healing, so God is going to tell his people
0: look to that cross and you'll find healing from your sin. That's the cross. I really appreciate this lesson today. The other thing that I get from this is an enthusiasm. To understand how the Old Testament oh. fits into the New, and, and, yeah. and you know, it just and this is just such a uh, one example of so many.
1: It is a wonderful example. But what I find, Wayne, is that almost every time Jesus opens his mouth, <laughs> there is either a quote or some sort of allusion. He he quotes Proverbs all the time, especially in the Gospel of John. Uh, he is always understanding himself from some passage from the Old Testament. And and if that's not an incentive for you and me to get really serious about going back to the Old Testament, I don't know what is. We
0: really can't understand what Jesus is saying unless we do that, can we? No, we can't.
1: Uh, when John the Baptist will say, you know, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, what un, what in the world is he talking about? We don't know unless we turn to Exodus and we find out what the Passover Lamb is all about. Well,
0: perhaps we understand on one level, but there's so many levels that go deeper than that.
1: Yeah, I think, and the one level tends to be a, a fairly superficial, touchy-feely. Oh, he's this Lamb that somehow is going to be slain. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not until we understand that the Passover Lamb is slain, his blood is used to mark the doorposts of the of the house as as Jesus' blood. Marks the doorposts of our hearts, as it were. I mean, you see, uh, as you say, all this rich symbolism becomes uh, unpacked as we turn to Exodus, as we turn to, of all places, Leviticus, yeah. which is one of Jesus' favorite. <laughs> we always books skip to quote. that one, don't we? Oh yeah. But he sees himself in that book. You know, he sees himself in the various stories of Moses and Abraham and the other patriarchs. And uh, how can we then not go and and try to find more of Jesus in the Old
0: Testament? I think. Of that when I run into people and, and the comment is made well you know when you really get down to it I I spend my time in the New Testament right. I don't spend any time in the Old Testament well. If you're truly spending time in the New Testament, the Old is there. You're getting it. Now, you're, you're going
1: to be driven to the Old Testament again and again because uh, uh, Jesus and and uh, certainly Paul, you go to a book like Hebrews, which is basically an Old Testament commentary on the sacrificial system and the priesthood system and, and how Jesus uh, makes all that come to life and fulfills mm-hmm. those images.
0: No, uh, you know, when people say, oh, we're a New Testament church, I always go, ooh, <laughs> please don't say that. Yeah. You know, we're... When, did, when did this light bulb come on for you? Were you a student under Bill Lane's teaching when that happened?
1: It, it, it happened. I can tell you, you know, it was a summer afternoon. We were doing a class uh, on the life of Jesus, and Bill unpacked one passage for us that re- that referred back to, uh, well, it's a passage in uh, John 7 where Jesus uh uh is is in jerusalem uh for the the feast of uh, tabernacles hmm. and jesus uh stands up in the back of this large crowd and he says uh if anyone's thirsty let him come to me and drink and uh i'd always read right over that and thought you know gee what a beautiful thing like you were saying earlier very yeah. superficial right. reading But Dr. Lane pointed out to us that Jesus was fulfilling an image uh, that that was part of the observance from Tabernacle. He was uh, actually responding to a passage the high priest had just read from uh, the prophets where uh, the high priest said, um, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. The the high priest in mm. front of this large crowd had just read this passage on the last and greatest day of the Feast of Tabernacles, and it's exactly at that point that Jesus stands up and John says, in a loud voice says, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Mm. At that moment, Wayne, I thought, I'm going to find every... Example of this in the, the New <laughs> Testament that I can possibly find.
0: And I'm still finding and, it. And we are richer for it yeah. for what you have found and shared with us, Michael. I think for me, it was hearing a message about uh, Christ coming for his church mm-hmm. as a, a bridegroom cometh for the bride mm-hmm. and all the rich imagery of the Old Testament, uh, the, the wedding, the Jewish wedding yeah. uh, that I remember very clearly a message back in the early 1970s that I heard that my, I mean, I just literally sat there with my mouth open. Yeah. And to run home and to start paging through yeah. and running cross references, it's an exciting
1: thing. And I hope the, the listeners out there will, will uh, share this excitement with us.
0: That is so nice, and that is live here in the Mm. studio with Michael Card, our guest Sam Levine here with, uh, what is that, Sam, a soprano saxophone? That's a soprano saxophone. (laughs) I love that sound, Michael. What what do you think? It's amazing. You think Sam has a chance at uh, being a musician someday? Yeah, I think so. (laughs) Turning pro. I'm thinking about turning (laughs) pro.
3: (laughs) How many records do you have now? Seven as an artist. There you go. Hmm. And then I...
0: You've played on a gazillion other records. Yes, I've lost yeah. track somewhat. Yeah. I see a lot of woodwind instruments here in the studio that you've brought. I don't see a bassoon or an oboe. Have you played those? Very good point. I Split, stay away from double reeds. Yeah. Do you? Okay. Good move. You have, yeah. your, you have your standards. Uh, in
3: other words. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to be associated with them. I found out some time ago that it's better to leave that to the ones who specialize. They're just, first of all, you have to make your own reeds, and yeah. then... They're just a world all unto themselves. Mm. And stylistically, it's a different world, too. Huh. Um, well, I, I do uh, fool around with uh, single-reed
0: instruments. Now, mm. that I've been known to associate with. He calls it fooling around. Actually, yeah. Sam Levine is very accomplished <laughs> yes. and uh, actually um, has accompanied you, Mike. We we met probably about 82 or three or f- mm. I had seen you play
3: before that in a concert concert. Yeah. Um, but yes, that's probably when we met. Yeah, was Norbert
1: was, Putnam. Was, yes.
0: Yeah. Well, Sam, you have uh, that soprano sax. You have got a clarinet. A flute is here. But I mean, the one thing that you and Michael have in common is the penny whistle. That's. True. And well, and, what we have in common is that we both own some. That's about <laughs> where it ends. Sam really plays them. Yeah. He he has unrolled a uh, or unfurled, I guess you would say, a case full of penny whistles here today. uh Oh, here we go. Two at once. <laughs> two at once. Whoa. Now, there's a sound you'll hear every day. <laughs> Sounds like the Chattanooga choo-choo. It's <laughs> yeah, good
3: for that. These, this, this particular whistle is made by a man named Michael Burke, who uh, makes whistles of all different materials. This one is made of aluminum and is a low F, I think. Mm-hmm. Like he, you, know, you sort of name them after the lowest note on the instrument. So the same song I played earlier... Sounds like that. Mm-hmm. And then you get the higher whistles. and, Or even... Uh, now go for let's, broke. Let's pick one that's even <laughs> higher. Yeah, but... Oh, the little... Yeah, ass. here, did play that one. <laughs> this is the key of uh, who knows what. <laughs> that's for the canine population. <laughs> we won't do any more of that for the moment. But, um Yes, I love the whistles. They're so expressive. Mm-hmm. Have you found? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and 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 the, the the reason I like whistles is you can sort of get in at the entry level, like I've done, and play very simple stuff. But then you can go as deep into it as you want to with the the little slurs you were doing and the I don't even know what you call them, the little All tags, the ornaments. Yeah, I'm not a I'm not a traditional player, and I
3: mean the real irish players you know they really they have all these there's a language of ornaments this whole uh-huh. uh it's a language and mm-hmm. i don't really speak it but i kind of do the american version yeah and uh sometimes i think for what i do it's more appropriate but do you have yeah. a favorite instrument. instrument that you play that is such a hard which of your children would you you know yeah. but um where did you start i started on uh, french horn um oh. which i don't play anymore <laughs> and I, where did that come i from? love the horn but uh um i had to, i gave it up for baseball uh. <laughs> and then and, uh, and then took up the flute and the funny thing is and i've heard other woodwind players who double say this that the instrument that they started on has always been the hardest one for them the mm. one that they struggled with the most huh. and flute is still it's a very jealous instrument you have to practice it a lot it it requires a lot of dedication, yeah. you know, purity of sound and all that. Uh-huh. The one that has always been easiest for me, and that I feel like I have a most natural sound on, is the soprano sax. Uh-huh. So I suppose if you put me on an island, you know, and said, <laughs> "Okay, you can only have one instrument to entertain yourself," it would be that. Really, you know. castaway uh, Sam here.
1: Yeah, your flute playing has always just blown me away. I haven't heard you play the other others as much, but I know like I, I did a we did a record together. Um, to the mystery, the flute solo you did on that is still one of my favorite flute solos kind of of all time. So. And as Thank long you, as I man. look
0: at a flute player, I'll never understand how you do what you do. <laughs> it is weird. You have to make that funny little instrument. It's a bizarre instrument.
3: instrument. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <Pew>. <laughs> it well, let's talk it about
0: uh, your, your music, instrumental music, as, as an art, as, uh, as an act of worship, uh, creative worship. Sam, is it uh, you ever? You know, we we were joking earlier before going on the air here that uh, instrumentalists sometimes, you know, everything takes place over your music. You know, dinner takes place over your music and it's conversation. Music. Yeah, it's yeah. yeah. It's more than background, though. It's a
3: challenge always, I think, for an instrumentalist to communicate what they're looking. To, if there's a message, you know, how mm-hmm. do you how do you put a Christian message? How do you put the gospel into a melody that somebody? Uh, has never heard before. Mm-hmm. And you can do it with a title, but in some ways that's cheating. But yeah. uh, it's, of course, one easy answer is to pick a song like Be That My Vision, pick a hymn, pick sure. a gospel tune. But another way, and I think it's it's perfectly valid, is to just play from your heart. I mean, what else is present there? Mm-hmm. When you finally clear away everything else, all of your... Hurts and all of your, your anger and all of your problems and all the things that get between you and the music. What's what is it but God? Mm-hmm. And that's been really, I think, for a lot of my experience in church. Some of the my, the purest moments have been just hearing the music, yeah. instrumental music. So I I kind of think of the wordless voice mm-hmm. of instrumental music mm-hmm. yeah. as communicating somehow the, the, the most intimate kind of yeah. message you can possibly communicate. That's what I, that's the way yeah, I
1: think of it. I, I totally, I mean, I'm sort of cutting my throat by saying this, but I think next to silence, hmm. instrumental music is my favorite. And then next to that, music with lyrics. Hmm. That's next for
0: me in terms of what it can say. I think silence says the most. Well, it's expressive in a different way. I mean, the, the lyrics obviously are expressive, but the, the instrumental they music- They can it, be. It can be, yeah, I yeah. understand. Do you feel that? I mean, you're interpreting a feeling, right? That's right.
3: And and when it's in its best form, I I don't exist. Mm-hmm. You know, I I you do struggle with everything technically, of course. But when you finally feel like the music is speaking for itself, you don't even really feel that you're playing it. It's just something that happens, mm-hmm. and it it, uh, it it can be as much for the player as the listener, and uh, a really uplifting experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to say one of my favorite things as an instrumentalist is to accompany a vocalist oh, because really? when a story is being told, this, I think you were talking about the story. I mean, the story is inspiring too. It's mm-hmm. not, it's a different kind of inspiration, yeah. but the story for me, dr- the drama, the story, I mean, how can be, how you can you get more dramatic than mm-hmm. the Jesus story? Mm-hmm. And so I'll hear the story and I'll play in a way
1: that I never imagined. And I, you respond. I be, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Well, that's what worship is.
0: Worship is response, I think. It's response to hearing the Word. Well, Sam, thank you for coming in today. Now, we we talked about the flute. We actually heard you play the flute because you accompanied Michael on the song here, Lift Up the Suffering Symbol, today. So we got to hear you on that flute here in the studio. Mm -hmm. Can we hear it again? We've got a few seconds here.
3: Uh-oh.
2: (laughs) Uh-oh.
1: Sam Levine, thanks for joining us. Thanks for sharing your, uh, your life with us. Thank
0: you yeah. for inviting me. God bless you great to have you in the studio with michael card we're coming up on the halfway point of our program today but before we take a break i'd like to point out that this broadcast is just one facet of michael's ministry there are many exciting things going on and you can become a part of it through the web just log on to www.michaelcard.com and explore it for yourself you'll be able to get the latest news see michael's touring schedule and find out what it would be like if you became a member of the community Now, if you can't stay for the rest of today's program, then come by the site and access the audio archive to listen or order a copy of this or any in-the-studio broadcast on CD. There's also a complete listing of Michael's books, CDs, and his latest CD project called A Fragile Stone. You'll want to check all this out, and it's all waiting for you right now at michaelcard.com. Well, coming up in the second half, we'll get to meet Jerry Amos, who will fill us in on the exciting work of Mercy Children's Clinic. And Michael will answer some listener Bible questions. And if you have a question you'd like Michael to wrestle with, pass that along to us at inthestudio at michaelcard.com. Again, the email address is inthestudio at michaelcard.com. I'm Wayne Shepard. We'll be back with more great music and conversation after these messages on the Moody Broadcasting Network. Back to the second half of our program in the studio with Michael Card. And Michael, coming up in a few moments, we're going to meet Jerry Amos. Jerry, a first time guest in our program. Looking forward to that. Yeah, but an old friend from the Children's Mercy Clinic. It's a wonderful story of uh, mercy and compassion right here in Franklin, Tennessee. Yeah. We'll talk with Jerry in a few moments, but let's take a, a few minutes right now and answer a couple of listener questions that have come in to us. And oh, I'll boy. Give, I'll give the email address again at the end of the program today. <laughs> this is the hard part. Uh, this first one comes from Robert, who says, Michael, in my opinion, all believers since the beginning of time when they died went into the so-called Abraham's bosom. Mm-hmm. So then we, too, when we die, will also go to that same place until Christ's return when we will all meet him in the air and go to heaven together. Mm-hmm. He says, what do you think of that?
1: Ooh, well, he's talking about that parable in Luke 16, right? Uh, mm-hmm. The rich man and Lazarus. Um, in the first place, I don't know if you can construct a cosmology based on a parable. Right. Um, I, I, I'm not so sure, you know, when Jesus is telling that story, if he's Actually saying this is how you know heaven and hell are literally set up, and there 's a gap and that sort of thing, we have to bring other texts to bear
0: on it as well yeah
1: yeah and and i'm not so sure i 'm not so sure i'm not disagreeing with him, but i'm not so sure that's that's uh that works um, My understanding is this, and this this may sound a little complicated, but uh, let me let me put it out there as best i can um when when we die we we leave etern i mean we leave time. Hmm. We leave the realm of time. We go into eternity. And I've heard it said, uh, one of my profs in, in Western said, we all enter eternity at the same time. Because we leave time as a place, as if, as if we were going out, leaving a room and going into another room. Okay. And so once you have that sort of uh, uh, duality in your head, you have to think in two terms. You have to think in terms of the people who are left in time. And then you have to think in terms of the people who leave time and go into eternity. Uh, I think for those of us who are here when a loved one dies, from our point of view, uh, I mean, you can say they're in Abraham's bosom. You can say they're asleep. I mean, that's the, the, the language that Jesus uses of death. He calls death sleep. From our point of view, they're asleep, and they'll wake up
0: when the Lord comes. Paul says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Yeah, I would think
1: that's the other point of view. That's the second point of view
0: that uh, when, when,
1: I, when I close my eyes in death, I'll open them in, in eternity. Uh, I, I'm not going to seem to be asleep. I mean, it's not like I'm going to sleep to myself. We all enter eternity at the same time. So I die. I, I'm ushered into the presence of God. I think that's what Paul means when he says absent from the body, present with the Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this works on a lot of different levels. This is why prophecy works, because what is what is prophecy? Prophecy is the ability that God gives some people to be able to look into another time, to leave time in, 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 in one sense, and look into another time as you and I would look into another room. Mm-hmm. They can leave time and, and sort of transcend time. And I know there's some sophisticated sort of... Uh, 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 um, uh, physics, you know that that <laughs> does, you know, dual, you know, uh, universes and all this kind of stuff. And I know there are people that go that deep with it. I'm not one of those people. I'm very comfortable with this idea of leaving time and going into eternity. That's uh, that's how I understand it, Robert. That uh, when when I close my eyes in death, absent with the body, present with the Lord, just like Paul says. But for for the love, my loved ones who are here, they're gonna see me as being asleep until we're brought together
0: again. Robert, thanks for your question sent to us. Again, I'll give the email at the end of today's program. For Robert and for anyone whose question is used on the radio here, we are happy to send you compliments of Tyndale House Publishers, a copy of the New Living... Uh, translation. Actually, we'll uh, send the Life Application Bible version of that. Mm. So it's a wonderful gift. It is. Thank you for your email. Here's another one. This next question comes from Kristen, who enjoys your music and your ministry, Michael. She says, you never seem to get discouraged in the Christian life from Mm. what I have observed and heard through your music. But she says, what would be your response to this question to another fellow believer? It seems the harder I try to do what is right... The more I seem to do as Paul, I do the things I don't want to do and don't do the things I know I should. This yeah. is Romans chapter 7 here she's referring to.
1: Yeah, well, in the first place, if you, if you think I don't seem to get discouraged, <laughs> that's just because we don't know each other well enough. Uh, I struggle uh, with discouragement. Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: it, because you're human
1: because I'm human and because of the context of a ministry in American Christianity as it can be a very discouraging thing with the value system that's there um you know how do I respond to that um you know my my response to that is you know welcome to a fallen world mm-hmm. welcome to the human condition and um and I I think the thing that's helped me and I, all I can do is I can't answer that question I can just share you know, what's helpful what's been helpful to me uh, I I go back to the to the life of Jesus, the words of Jesus, and I see how uh, continually uh, he would throw the onus back on God. I, the The discussion between Jesus and Nicodemus in the first part of John, I think, is is very important, where Jesus presents this idea of uh, of religion and spirituality as basically something that God is responsible for, and yeah. uh, the the Spirit gives birth to new sons and daughters. Uh, Nicodemus, who is very much a, a performance-based, you know, Judaism kind of uh, a religious person, uh, is completely blown away when Jesus opens this door to him, that the this idea that the Spirit of God moves and works and has its way with us, um, and obviously Paul knows this, but in Romans seven, uh, I think he has a period where he he has fixed his eyes on himself he lets us in on his experience and when you fix your eyes so exclusively on yourself all you're ever going to do is get d- depressed mm-hmm. and realize the truth of the fact that we don't measure up we can't be good enough we can't perform we can't get it right or even when we compare ourselves to others yeah and and even when we get we think we're getting it right you know when we when we look back on it we see that we we do the right thing for wrong motives and and so uh I think that the what the Bible would have us do is continuously go back to Christ and say, you know, I am hopeless. Uh I can't do anything right. Uh uh I love what brother Lawrence would say. You know, he would say, Lord Jesus, keep your hand on me because if you let go of me, I'll always do the same. You know, so the responsibility in in a sense, again, I'm, I'm I don't I'm not saying we we don't We're not responsible to be obedient and that sort of thing because Jesus also clearly outlines that. But this ultimate uh, idea of keeping ourselves spiritually where we should be, I think that's a matter of continuously going back to the Lord and saying, you know, I belong to you now. This is your deal. Help me.
0: Kristen, thanks for your question. We'll send your New Living Translation Bible to you right away as our thank you for writing to us today. Well, Michael, let's uh, turn a bit of a corner here. Uh, We're going to talk to Jerry Amos in a moment, Mm. and we're going to talk about uh, compassion, mercy, Mercy Mm. Children's Clinic here. And you have a song. John Ketching just joined us here in the studio with this cello of his that adds so much musically to what you do. But this song is called Jesus, Let Us Come to Know You. Very simple
1: prayer. I mean, a, a lot of the same spirit that we were just talking about in terms of Christian's question. Uh, Jesus, you know, let us come to know you. Reveal yourself to us. Hold us close.
0: Let's listen. Here's Michael Card. Ready? such a tender lullaby and it Mm. leads us right into our next discussion here in the studio, Michael. Thank you very much for singing that song for us. Jesus, let us come to know you. Well, let's talk about uh, compassion and mercy as it's aimed at children. Mm-hmm. Uh, God brings some wonderful people to the studio to visit with us here each week. And mm-hmm. we know these people come from this community, Franklin, Tennessee. But our hope is that as you hear these people that we have in on the program, that that'll inspire you to do something where you live.
1: It's, it's, it's one thing to talk um theoretically, about compassion and mercy and that sort of thing. It's another thing to have someone come in who is actually uh, caught up in a ministry, has been called into a ministry uh, to children. Uh, And so we have Jerry Amos with us uh, from our Children's Mercy Clinic uh, to tell us about the vision of that place and and what
0: God is doing in Franklin uh, through that ministry. So, Jerry... Thank you for being here.
4: Well, thank you for having yeah. me here.:
0: Jerry, yes, thanks for joining us here today. Now before we learn about your ministry in the uh, Mercy Children's Clinic, tell us something about you and your life experience.
4: Uh, actually, uh, it's not a whole lot to tell. Uh, I've been in Tennessee for about 20 years now. I'm originally from Virginia by way of Buffalo, New York. so uh...
0: <laughs> Another import to Franklin. <laughs> Michael, it's, it's really amazing how many people have come here and, and really have felt called of God to come to this yeah. place.
4: Well, I've been here long enough now to become a Franklinite, so I'm <laughs> I'm stuck. <laughs> I, I enjoy it. Uh, uh, my call to ministry is my husband is a pastor at Franklin Primitive Baptist Church, and uh, I uh, sort of uh, go out with him, and uh, you know, and I, I found uh, Jesus Christ uh, quite a while ago. But uh, every day, it's it's a vision just to be able to talk to people and encourage their hearts to uh, seek Jesus. Hmm. You know, and um so uh you might want to say, I'm kind of like a a missionary in a way because mm-hmm. you know uh as if we are Christians and we're leading people to Jesus, then that is what uh is necessary because there's a lot of lost souls out there mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. well, talk to us about the ministry at the children's mercy clinic
4: okay uh uh the our mission there is to provide quality care uh to their page, to our patients, to our children, and we also um, encourage the parents uh, that if they need prayer, uh, we're there for them as well. Um, the clinic was opened in 1999 uh, through the vision of the Empty Hands Ministry uh, and the vision of Dr. Timothy Hentzel from Vanderb- Vanderbilt Medical Center. Uh, they got together and decided that you know they saw a need for uh, the a lot of children here in this area, not just in Williamson County, but in other counties of the surrounding areas that didn't have quality care or Mm -hmm. didn't have anyone uh, to see uh, because of lack of insurance. And so that's kind of how it got started. So
0: this is not your typical clinic. I mean, this really was was founded with a real strong purpose and vision for ministry, wasn't it?
4: Yes, it it is. Yes, it is. It's a nonprofit organization. And uh, it's not, I mean, it's, you can't just walk into a a doctor's office and be seen and be ministered to and come out feeling that we've treated the whole person, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So, uh, it's, it's that kind of place. And we, we don't offend anyone, but when you walk in, I have had patients tell me that they feel Jesus when they come in there. Mm
0: -hmm. What better could they say? Hey,
4: (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I had a patient that came in, and he when he called me and made the appointment, he was a little bit distraught because they had just lost their insurance, and uh, his children needed some help. Uh, he called us. He was about in tears. He was like at his mm. wits' end. He didn't know what to do. And I told him he had found the right place. Mm. Uh, and he lived in Fairview. When he came in the clinic, he said... I feel the presence of Jesus in here. Mm. And when he walked to that window mm. and we touched hands, I shook his hand. I said, you're at the right place because Jesus is in here. Mm. Uh, we were in tears. But before he left, I mean, I mean, he still talks about that that one day now, you know. So it was it's amazing. You know, it's it's wonderful to treat the whole body. It's, it's wonderful to have someone with no hope find hope, yeah. you know.
1: And that's what Jesus did. I mean, he oh, just yeah. didn't heal people. He would always go the extra mile to connect with people and, right. and to introduce himself to them. And, that's right. And that's the, that's the
0: ministry that they have there. It's a healing ministry.
2: Yeah.
0: Jerry, yeah. this couldn't happen without people. uh. uh yeah. Talk about the talk about your colleagues, the oh. people involved in the, this ministry.
4: True. Uh, well, we uh, I work with uh, Dr. Timothy Henschel, He is the CEO. He just newly elected CEO at the clinic. Uh, he, there's Dr. Sharon Moore Caldwell. Uh, she was from Green Hills, and now she's she started at Mercy in September of last year.
0: Now, would you say that these doctors and 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 everyone involved are kind of making a sacrifice to be a part of this ministry? In a sense,
4: I'm sure. Oh, oh, oh yes. Uh, Vanderbilt glad. and yeah. Green
0: Hills are the two top notch. Two best or, yeah. and and two wealthiest yes. areas of Nashville. Yes. Hmm. yes. You know? So yes. there's a real commitment oh, here. A yes. Real commitment to yes. Christ here. Yes. Huh. yes.
4: I interrupted your list of people there. Okay. <laughs> and then we have Kimberly Jones. Uh, she's a nurse practitioner. She started out when the clinic uh, originally opened up. Uh, we have Sharon uh, McCallum, who's our social worker, and she does a lot of outreach uh, activities with young teenagers, uh, new new moms. We have like teaching classes. Um, once a month, maybe, uh, if it's a single parent having to deal with uh, teaching them behavior, things for their mm-hmm. children. So it's a lot of educational stuff that's going on there as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have, in our front office, we have uh, uh, Yvette Haynes. She's one of our receptionists. Um, we have uh Carol Shawfield she ha- she handles all our referrals she's been there also when the clinic opened
0: so this is no small thing i mean uh-huh. you've got no. a lot of people that takes mm-hmm. to run this how do, how do you keep going what what keeps it going
4: jesus keeps it going mm-hmm. and it's not all about money you know some things you can't put money on you know it's it's all about uh i get joy and i i think i can speak for all the staff there I get joy when I can look at a person's face and see that we have made a difference. You know, you know, we have made a difference in their life. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, Jerry, you've you've ministered there for some time and you, you've you got some experience. Uh, what would you say uh, to someone who's listening in who who may feel like they have the vision to start a ministry like this?
4: Well, I I would uh, suggest that they um you know, go in prayer about it and and get other people involved with them and let them see their vision of what they want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, even if it's uh, whether it involves insurance or self-pay, however you want to do it, but just get together a group of people and, you know, where there's uh, numbers. I mean, uh, God makes numbers count. We look at numbers and And don't think anything of it. So Mm -hmm. get a couple. It might take one or two people, but at least start somewhere and and get an idea of what your plan is Mm -hmm. and then uh, seek. um, Use us as a reference. There is a couple of other places out there that are doing this, but probably not for the children's Mm sakes. you know, but there is I'm sure there's a big need for it.
0: Talking with Jerry Amos here in the studio with Michael Card about this wonderful Mercy Children's Clinic here in Franklin, Tennessee. And I I do hope as well that maybe there's someone out there listening who's been looking and praying to the Lord that... What is what is the opportunity you want me to pursue, Lord? And maybe mm-hmm. this will be the spark that will uh, mm-hmm. get something else going in some other part of the country. Mm-hmm. But I want to hear more of these stories, Jerry. You've got such wonderful stories. Uh, by the way, this is also a multicultural uh, ministry, isn't True.
4: it? True. Uh huh. It is. Uh, now I'm not fluent in Spanish, so I have a little <laughs> trouble communicating there. <laughs> but I have seen, uh, you know, if you can get, if you can look at a person's face, and I think I said that before even if you can't speak the language, you're still able to tell whether or not you've done something for that person. Mm-hmm. Um, we do have a translator there. Uh, Van- Veronica Cropper is our uh, Spanish translator, and she kind of handles most of our calls and most of our patients who just come in. Um, uh, but I mean, it's, our, our population has grown so much from the uh, the Hispanic population and there is a I'm sure we'll be doing more Mm -hmm. um, to help educate uh, them as well, but uh, it's it's tremendous.
0: Do you get evidence every day that what you're doing really counts? I mean, you you must, you say you read it in people's faces. Yes, yes. Tell us some of those.
4: Yes, Um, uh, well, just today, just this morning before I came in, we had a mom that came in, a child had... um, some hives. They broke out in hives like Mm -hmm. overnight. Mm -hmm. And when she came in, uh, we just took her right in and took her right back. And a matter of fact, she left before I left. Uh, And she was real. It's that kind of contact that it's that kind of communication with the patients that makes a difference. You know, we're there for to provide emergency care. We're there to provide uh, spiritual care. And we're there for we help with any other situation, you come, you'd come, you call us and say, I've got money to get there, but I'm, I'm worried about gas, I could go around in a the clinic. I, there's probably funds to help them, but we come, I go in my purse and give, take mm-hmm. out money, you wow. know. We wow. do that kind of stuff. And
0: it's done in Jesus' name. Yes, mm-hmm.
4: yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: mm-hmm. I
4: think
1: about how many medical situations you go into. If you don't have insurance, you're a non-person.
4: That's right. Uh, That's right.
1: And uh, it, it's it's wonderful when when those of us in the Christian community can counter that mm-hmm. by saying people have value because they're created in God's image mm-hmm. and God loves them,
4: mm-hmm.
1: whether they have insurance or not, or money or not, mm-hmm. or position or not.
4: Our staff is like, you know, true, we have doctors, but we have big hearts. Um, another call I had, we had a patient that came in. She was going to be uh, evicted from, well, she had to move out of her house. Um, she came in. Uh, she didn't want to look at us. She was a little bit embarrassed because, you know, things happen to people, you know, um, in the back room while they were praying for her in the back, we were going around collecting money Mm -hmm. (laughs) and getting like samples of, uh, formula, uh, samples of medication that the child might would need. And I told her, I said, before you leave, don't leave, don't leave. I need to, I need to see you before you leave. Hmm. And we cry all the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we we just we just cry all the time. It's Jerry, just I,
0: I've got to ask you because um, you know I'm a task oriented pe- person. I think a lot of people listening <laughs> can identify with that. You know, you you get on a track and you want to get something done, and uh-huh. then somebody comes in your front door who's got a need like this. I mean, this takes time. Oh. You've got to set aside everything else that you've been planning to do to minister to this person.
4: It it, it we're a people person.
0: Yeah.
4: We're a people person. Some things take precedence over others. You yeah. know, you have to you have to take care of the immediate need. Mm. You know,
1: and sometimes I think the greatest need isn't the physical ailment that they have; mm-hmm. it's a soul it's sickness. It's a soul. Mm-hmm. And uh, and and at Mercy
0: Children's Clinic, as as Jerry said, they minister to the whole person.
4: The whole person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The whole person.
0: Well, it's uh you're in the yellow pages if anyone wants to find out more about your ministry, right, Jerry?
4: Well, we're in the yellow pages. Um we are on the internet. Um we uh, I can give us our address. What's the, what's okay. the internet address? Uh it's mercychildrens.org. Uh, MercyChildrens.org. Clinic. Dot org. clinic. clinic dot org. Okay. Mm-hmm.
0: With an apostrophe and Children's? Uh-huh. Okay. Mm-hmm. MercyChildrensClinic.org. Dot dot org. And we'll also put a link on our website, yeah. MichaelCard.com, mm-hmm. yeah. in case someone misses that. So.
4: Of course, our, our pictures need to be updated a little bit. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Jerry Amos, thank you for being here with us.
4: Well, thank you. I've enjoyed it. Yeah. Uh, I'd like to uh, give our address for Mercy Children's Clinic. It's 112 9th Avenue uh, South here in Franklin, Tennessee. Uh, Zip code is 37064. And our phone number is uh,
1: 615-790-0567. And let me say this. This isn't just for people that are interested maybe in going and finding care there, but uh, we are... uh, not for uh, profit non-profit so we're seeking donations donations
4: and volunteers um whatever uh, if you have a need to help us if the lord had touched your heart and you feel like you need to come and and do something with us Mm -hmm. we'll we'll be more than happy to have you
1: if you have a big Big. wad of money (laughs) a big (laughs) wad of money or a
4: big generous soul and you want to teach and talk to patients and minister to god with some of our patients we're happy
0: i yeah. think there's a lot of big generous souls there there what are do you think well, are.
4: we can always use some more souls. yeah
0: that's right <laughs> well thanks again jerry
4: for thank coming you. and, and sharing
0: you. the vision of thank mercy you. children's clinic with thank
4: us thank you thank you i enjoyed it
0: and what a great time we've had here in the studio with Michael Card today. Before we go, I want to remind you to take a moment and send us your comments as well as your questions about the Bible or the Christian life. Our email address is in the studio at michaelcard.com. And information about this broadcast, including links to the Mercy Children's Clinic, is waiting for you online at www.michaelcard.com. Just go to the radio page for the details you need. And then when you stop by, be sure you explore the other features we have for you. See how you can stay connected with behind-the-scenes news and special downloads we have in a section called The Community. And also don't forget that you can check out the complete list of books and CDs available for you at michaelcard.com. Our program engineer is Kenny Ferris. Our producer is Joe Carlson. I'm Wayne Shepard. Thanks for being with us in the studio with Michael Card. In the Studio with Michael Card is a production of Community Broadcasting and the Moody Broadcasting Network.